Where all my children are the light Born in the sinning But steady striving to do right My people are warriors All we know is to fight Pray they see God and everything I write here Everyone, welcome This is a very special edition of On One with Angela Rye I have the great privilege of introducing to some of you And reintroducing you to others I just messed that up, but you know what I'm saying um, To Dr. Ayla Stanford Who is a practicing physician and surgeon for more than 20 years She is board certified by the American Board of Surgery in both pediatric and adult general surgery. It's Women's History Month, so I would be remiss if I did also not note that she was the first Black woman to complete general surgery training at the University of Pittsburgh. Her research in both uh, basic science, clinical research, and also public health has been published in peer-reviewed medical journals. She serves as a medical consultant and correspondent. She's a staunch healthcare advocate for so many and a wife and a mother. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Ayla. Thank you, Angela, for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's get started. All right. So um, I want to do something that I know you know very well. And that is before you get started with the patient, you wash your hands. And since clearly so many of us don't know how to do that, show us how so we get it right. So we're going to put some, turn on the water so we can get hot. And we're going to put some soap, some antibacterial, antiviral soap in our hands. We're going to wet our hands and we're going to start to lather. The lather is important. You're getting between all your fingers. You're getting underneath your nail, and my kids will sing the ABC song to make sure it's 20 seconds, and you're lathering back and forth down to your wrist. Usually, I'm not wearing a ring because bacteria and viruses can be caught in your jewelry, and I rinse, I repeat, and I do the same thing again. And then I dry my hands thoroughly because if they're moist, you can also transmit bacteria and viruses on your hands, so I dry them completely, okay? And I sometimes afterwards will use the hand sanitizer. If you're not near soap and water, you can use that. But even with the hand sanitizer, your hands should be clean first for it to be most effective. It should be greater than 60% alcohol, and you should get the front and back of your hands and wait till it thoroughly dries because that's when it confers the most protection against the bacteria and viruses. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. I think now we're ready to go, doctor. We're ready to go. Right. <laughs> um, so I want to start first with true or false. I know this is a very serious subject matter, so I'm not at all making light of it, but I think the way that we process information these days is in quick bites. So I'd rather make sure we get the quick bites done too. Um, and we're talking to people in ways that they can understand. So I want to start here. True or false? COVID-19 is the same thing as the coronavirus. COVID-19 is the same thing as the coronavirus. So COVID or CO is for corona. Corona comes from the shape of the virus, which actually looks like a crown. That's why it's called corona. BI is for virus. And the D is disease. So coronavirus disease and the hyphen 19 is for the year it was identified. So COVID-19 is coronavirus. Okay. And then... Got it. And so the next uh, true or false, true or false, COVID-19 was started by consuming bat or frog soup in Wuhan, China. Okay. So a false. 
but a portion of that is true. So we do know through genomic sequencing that the RNA virus did originate from a bat, okay? And what's thought now, the hypothesis actually published in Nature Magazine, is that it went from a bat to a pangolin, which is a mammal, which is like an anteater, and then from that was transferred to a human, where they presume that there was some natural selection that took place. Um, when they look at the sequencing, they can see that it's about 95% bat gene, and then another proportion is this pangolin mammal. And then in the host, it's so intricate because it actually binds with our receptors, specifically human ACE receptors, that that's how it's conforming, mutating, and it's so susceptible. We're the perfect host for it to grow and replicate. So true from bats, but likely bats to another mammal to humans. Wow. Okay. The next one is whew, true or false. Um, warmer weather can kill the virus. So the coronavirus will go away once spring and summer come. False. Okay. Just false. You're like, I'm not even explaining that one. Okay, here's one here's one that's driving me nuts. Black folks can't get that Rona. Tell me about that. <sighs> false, false, and false. But you know, for folks who joke about that, our history as African Americans and our relationships with the healthcare system have not always been positive. And there were the Tuskegee experiment. Yes. There were Henry and the HPV cells. There were so many things and times where we were tested. We didn't know we were being tested, and so there's a lack of trust historically. Then present day, the access that we receive oftentimes is not equal yeah. and it's suboptimal. And it doesn't matter a lot of times what the socioeconomic status is. It could be someone who's affluent and it can be someone who's dirt poor. And the only thing they have in common is that they're African-American, but the care that's delivered is suboptimal and not equal. And that's from the institutes of medicine. That's not just yeah. the world according to age. So it's not, for me, it's not strange to hear Black folks can't get it, we don't trust, because a lot of the lack of trust comes from the historic and present-day practices. Yeah. But we can get it. We can get it. I'm telling you, as an African-American, I am practicing all the social distancing and other things I can do to prevent myself and my family and my community from continuing the spread. Um, and on that, Dr. Adon, uh, more to come on this. I'm a hypochondriac. I need a tissue. I'm running to get a tissue and coming right back. <laughs> one second. I should have had one. Okay. I'm like, man, I should have had a tissue sitting here. Okay. Oh, Hey, my face look oily. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave this in there so they know this stuff that we ain't going through. Oh, oh, it's fine. Yeah, I don't you look beautiful. You are so funny. You're like, let me do a full touch up. You look beautiful. Okay, here's the next one. Um, I'm not biased or anything, but true or false, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, is handling this crisis better than y'all's president, Donald J. Trump. <laughs> I think that uh, Governor Cuomo 
is leading by example. Yeah. And when there are 9 million, and don't quote me, but I, I believe that's accurate, uh, people in New York, um, he has to do, and now you're going to make me look, but i sure, because I heard you not and I'm going to come back to that question. I love ah! that. You're like, I have numbers for this. Yeah, I have numbers, and I just want to be accurate about, okay, I was off, see, that's why I had that. So the fourth largest state in the United States is New York, and there are 20 million people, 9 million in New York City, okay? Mm. And we know that this virus, and we're going to get to it about the community spread, it spreads quickly in dense populations. New York City, you can't walk down the street without bumping into someone yeah. in the shoulders and so forth. So I think that the action he took was swift to try to protect the residents and also to protect the spread to the neighboring states, New Jersey and Connecticut, even Pennsylvania. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Um, then a next nice short pause is this is the first pandemic that the United States has ever been exposed to. False. False. So, the, probably the most recent pandemic that folks will remember was H1N1, yeah. and that was from eight of 2009 to August of 2010, and that affected in the world 60 million. It caused 200,000 deaths, and specific worldwide, and in the United States, about 12 to 14,000 deaths. And, and so that was the last pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and then prior to that, there was uh, swine flu, or swine flu, excuse me. There was uh, ours, mm -hmm. and there, way, way, there was the Spanish flu in like 1918. But this is not the first pandemic, yeah. not at all. They're, right. Mm -hmm. um, and another one that is going around a lot, true or false, Bill Gates created this. Uh, okay, so no, false. Bill Gates did not create it, and this is why I love reading everything that's online. And then there are other magazines that the books aren't online, online are not reading, like Nature and Science and Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine. And Nature put out a great article talking about the complexity of this virus that it could not have been created uh, in a lab. Because specifically, when it talks about this polybasic cleavage that could only happen in a host of a human, that's not something that you could create artificially. And there's all these different genomic sequencing that proves that. Um, and the only way for it to replicate so quickly is when you have a dense population, which my speculation is that November, December 2019, when it happened, in Wuhan, and then it was the Chinese New Year where all the folks were congregated in one place is where it spread like wildfire. And then there was an attempt to contain, and then people went back to their different provinces and parishes, and it spread. Hmm. Wow. That's fascinating. I think as a, like, growing up as a Black person in this country, you're, like, naturally inclined to be a conspiracy theorist because of everything that we, you know, gone through, especially after what you just said with the Tuskegee experiment and everything else. Like, it is a natural bit to be like, okay, they try to take us out, and for good reason. 
but this one is not true. Um, the social distancing quarantine period is not a vacation. True or false? It is not a vacation. It's not a time to have special plates and invite people over for potluck. I mean, if I see one more flag football game, it's just people. It's just not that. Unfortunately, on Friday, there were 10, 20, 30 people getting water ice because it was 70 degrees in Philadelphia. They're water ice in. And those are the places where this virus runs rampant and you're bumping into folks and you're touching folks and you're touching your face and you're eating something up to your I mean, and we just, we have to do better. And that's why I appreciate the opportunity to get the message out that it's the only true thing we have to combat this is to keep your circle small. It's a mom, a dad, it's kids, it's whoever lives in your household. Because once you invite one additional person in, you're inviting every other contact that they've also been in, and now your circle is broken, so to speak. Okay, I have only a few more um, true or false, but I have to ask these because of my hypochondriac ways. So, um, a face mask can protect you from contracting COVID-19, true or false? Mm. You're like, that's complicated. Hype of face mask. Now I should run to my car and get my mask so I can demonstrate to you. It's not far. You want me to get it or just tell you? If you um if you if you really want to, you seem like you really want to, you can get it. We're fine. Because then I can show people. It's not far. Okay. Alright, I'll be right back. Okay. I love this. This is what what we do, black women keep everything in our cars. <laughs> okay. I love this. I said, I'm going to get mine too to see if you says my, say my past is no other way. Let me see. Okay. Oh, that's okay. a real special looking one. Okay. All right. So you want to question again? Okay. So true or false? Wearing a face mask can protect you from contracting COVID-19. True, but not 100% true. It depends on the type of mask. It depends on how you wear it. And it depends on the environment. So this is a surgical mask. And you can see it also has a face shield. Because we know when the virus is transmitted, at least through respiratory droplets, it gets in your eyes, your nose, and your mouth, right? So when you put this on, you can, it can go over your ear like this and like this, right? And you pinch it, and it's giving you some protection, okay? Wow. But you see there's space here. Yeah, there's space yeah. here, and there's space here. So this is, it's minimal, okay? Now, this is an N95 mask, okay? And it says N95 right there. And it's a respirator mask. And so we know the virus is about five microns in size, and it should not be able to penetrate through this. So there are two ways, there are two straps on it. Uh One goes, mess up my hair. Don't don't do it, don't do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> this one goes on, on the back of your neck, and this one goes on the top, and you pinch it here, okay? And it a tight seal, like this, mm-hmm. on your face. So the people that should be wearing these, though, are people who have coronavirus, okay? Known folks. Oh, that happened. Okay, let me back up, because I don't want to confuse it. So this is where I'm saying the loop because I want to make sure it's very clear. Um, the people who should wear it, let me back up to your question. Your question was, does it protect you from getting COVID-19? Some protection. It's not 100% though. Yeah. Yeah. It's 100%. And that's, but it, it's it's the best we have. Yeah. Right? So the person who should be wearing this mask, and this is like, I don't want to screw this up because it's so important. The person who should be wearing this mask is the person who is taking care of someone who is COVID-19 positive. Gosh. Okay? So let me read that. The person who should be wearing an N95 respirator-type mask is caring for someone who has COVID-19, mm-hmm. okay? The COVID-19 person could be wearing a mask too, but they don't need this mask, Yeah, right? The reason why the caregiver is wearing this mask is to prevent them from getting it. Okay. What about if mm-hmm. it does? At the store, like, you know, if right, you're... Right. If you're sharing space where there could be respiratory droplets, does it help with situations like that? It is, and I and and I believe the reason why there's a huge push discouraging people from using them is because there's a shortage. Yeah, that's they're telling you not to wear it because the presumption right now is that everyone has. COVID-19. We're supposed to be behaving like everyone has it because we now know four out of five people who transmitted it were not showing symptoms, right? Because of the patient period, okay? So, and I know we're going to get to some of this about the flu and how it's different from COVID-19, but we know the incubation period for the flu is about five days, right? So somewhere you get exposed to somebody who has the flu, within five days, you're going to show symptoms, right? With COVID-19, you can show symptoms up to 14 days, usually showing up somewhere around five days. So that means for that whole 14 days, you're out and about, you're seeing folks, even though you were exposed to someone Day one, two days, you know, how many days ago? So you've traveled, you've been in how many different circles and all of that, right? So if that were the case, you should be wearing it because you're assuming that other people have it. One reason why a person who has it should not necessarily be wearing it, and this is important, is because they're really hard to breathe for. Yeah. We are. Since we know that people who truly have the disease have shortness of breath and it causes a pneumonia, it's hard. If now you put this on your nose and your mouth and it's trying to breathe, it's really hard to breathe through. Yeah. Okay. I'm so, so glad that you 
you shared that because it's been one of my biggest frustrations. I'm like, how are you saying don't wear a mask, but it's res- it's transmitted from respiratory droplets? Like that makes no sense. Then my thing right. has been this. This is not a true or false, but this has just been I'm you know again hypochondriac ish. So I'm like, it gets into your eyes, gets into your nose. They haven't said mouth as much, but I heard you say mouth. What about through your ears? That's another. <laughs> that's another opening. I mean, technically. It's your eutation tube, which is connected to your sinuses, technically, but it's not the one that Dr. Fauci is saying. Let's just say that. Okay, okay. (laughs) So those are our main three. Um, And I know you're going to ask about the airborne versus respiratory um, in terms of transmissibility, which I think is important. Well, let's let's do that. Yep, let's just do that now. Um, so, is it is it airborne? Is COVID nineteen airborne? It is airborne. Yes, it is airborne, and that's another reason why it has spread so rapidly. And so, when we say airborne, it's when someone coughs, they sneeze, or they're speaking, and there's some spray that comes out of your mouth and your or wherever because you sneeze or you cough and it's aerosolized and it's in the air for a period of time. The New England Journal of Medicine last week said three hours in the air. Wow. Three hours in the air. Yeah. And so that's airborne. And then respiratory droplets are what we were talking about before. Again, coughing, sneezing, speaking. But then getting on your clothes, getting on a surface, then you touch that surface and then you touch your face and then it gets in your eyes, your nose, your mouth. So there's been this big, which is it? Is it respiratory? Is it airborne? At least for what we know right now, it's both. Wow. And the CDC website, just before we talked, just to confirm they didn't change anything, um, the New England Journal of Medicine did say three hours in the air that the coronavirus lives at least and, and the respiratory droplets we already knew. So and here's another point. When someone's on respiratory isolation in the hospital, we're not necessarily using we're not using N95 masks. We can use this. We can cover our eyes, our nose, and our mouth, right? But when someone is airborne, that's when you introduce an N95 for precaution, okay? So that's the difference for the caregiver when we go into the So just really quick. So on the airborne, again, I told you hypochondriac over here. I get honestly from my dad. But when you um, talk about the airborne piece and it stays in the air for three hours, that means if I coughed three hours ago in my house, it can it's just hovering. Technically, that is so nasty. Yeah, I mean, we have to talk to the authors of the New England Journal. They, you know, in what conditions yeah. did you connect the studies and things like that? I'm sure sometimes it might have been one hour, or maybe if you were coughing in a different trajectory and it wasn't windy, it might have been fewer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that is certainly and what they put out. In fact, if I find that, I'm going to read it to you directly. Yeah, just, and just curious about, like, does that mean, um, so when people right now are like, they should go outside to get fresh air, is the air really that fresh? Like, okay. 
Oh, I know, Angela. I know. These are real questions that you're asking. I think, and that's when people talk about, again, the social distancing and the shelter in place, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, that people need to take that seriously. And I feel for folks that live in apartment complexes or really close together and there's not really some place to go, you know? Yeah. You know, folks are fortunate when you have a yard that you could sit on your porch that you could walk around the backyard and things like that because that's your space. And I feel like that air is probably good. Okay. You know, um, I feel like going to a park or area really early in the morning or really late at night when you could probably guess that there haven't been a lot of people congregating is probably safe. You know, other than that, we use our greater than six feet distance away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is, okay, so this was from the National Institute of Health, Tuesday, March 17, 2020. The virus that causes coronavirus 2019 is stable for several hours to days in aerosols and on surfaces. So when we say aerosol, that's airborne. Um, and then it goes on, the National Institute of Health, CDC, Princeton University Scientists, and New England Journal of Medicine, found that it was detectable in aerosols for up to three hours, for four hours on copper, up to 24 hours on cardboard, and two to three days on plastic and stainless steel. Uh, And then it goes on, yeah, it suggests that people may acquire the virus through the air and after touching contaminated objects. Okay, and then it says the study information was widely shared during the past two weeks after the researchers placed the contents on a preprint server to quickly share with their data with colleagues. Wow. Wow. So so here's my next question. We just talked about touching surfaces. Um, this is my last true or false because we do it so much on true or false, but I think it's important. There's, we have a true or false that says wearing gloves spreads more germs than not wearing gloves. But I'm not touching anything after you just told me all that. I'm like, I'm wearing gloves only. So I guess what I would say, true or false, spreads more germs, maybe. I'm going to say maybe. Okay. And the reason I say that is because if you're wearing your gloves all day long, in and out of a bunch of stuff, yeah. then yes, you're going to have fruit, you're going to have bacteria, you're going to have virus. Of course, that's spreading more germs. But, for example... When I go to the grocery store, I'm going to have a pair of latex gloves yes. on, right? On my shopping cart, grabbing the items, putting them into my cart, going through the line and checking out, putting them in my cart. And then I'll bring this up, and then I'll toss the gloves, and I'll wash my hands. Yeah. And I think that finite period of time that, yes, they do protect somewhat. But certainly, if you wear them all day, in and out of different areas. It's just like not washing your hands for a full day. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. You know, everything is on the gloves. Yeah. And inevitably, you're going to touch your face. Yeah, that so, makes sense. That makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. So out of the, um, the, the, the true or false, I do want to get to the fact, I've said it a thousand times now, I am a hypochondriac super germaphobe even before this like would wear a mask on the plane i was gonna try to find my mask to show you but it is not a n95 i need to get some n95s in my life um so i've taken my temperature every single day since i've heard that it comes with the fever 
Um, and so let me just take it now so you know what it is. <laughs> I like the ones on the forehead. That like yeah, this. give me one. I know. I heard you can't find a thermometer right now. It's ninety-seven point eight. That's low. That's <laughs> all right. It's been low. It's been that low the last couple of days. But um, I just I wonder, like, what else is that doing? Because I know you said that there are a lot of people who are carriers and don't know it. They don't have any symptoms. Um, I was like, oh, I got a headache. My the back of my neck is hurting. I had I can't. My chest is heavier. But I, I also could be making some of this up because I now know some of these things are like the symptoms. But my nose right. is definitely I feel congested right now. So what like what happens if you it's also allergy season. That's what my mom allergies. told me. <laughs> she was like, yeah. calm down, you got allergies. Right. So it's also discerning that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so what was the question about being tested or how do you know she could be yeah. If you're not displaying any symptoms and you're trying to, you know, quarantine and all of these things, how do you like be preventative like is there any way to really isolate yourself enough to be safe for the hypochondriacs among us yes you gotta stay home <laughs> you're like you be in timeout huh? you said you're like be in timeout yes you just stay home you face i mean fortunately for us we facetime we skype we all those things but my concern is for the older folks yeah. that don't have access to that. Those are the ones I worry about the most, you know, that they're not getting depressed and being so isolated yeah. and things like that. And just that we reach out to our elderly and call them and see if they need somebody to pick some food up for them and, and things like that. Drop it, just put it on the porch and leave. You yeah. know, you don't have to hug them. You can just leave it there for them. Um, but, I mean, my parents are both in their 60s. And they're high risk. And I have not seen my mother or my father since this happened. You know, I check in with them, I FaceTime, but I knew they're high risk. And I don't want to potentially bring something to them. I don't want my kids to potentially bring something. Now, if they get sick, I'll be there in my PPE and my mask and everything else, and I'll be taking care of my parents. But I don't want to be potentially exposing them unnecessarily. I um the I also just want to see like how long is this expected to last? Like if from your opinion, like how long will we be in quarantine, social distancing space? Yeah, Angela, I really believe we're gonna be like this until the disease plateaus, okay, or at least start to go down, and we are increasing. By thousands every day, I mean, every day, you know, and to think that on March 11, there were a thousand cases and by March 18, there were 8,000 cases by the end of the day is crazy. And last I checked over 20,000 cases by next Wednesday, we could be at 30,000 cases. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so until we start to see this right now is going straight like this, start to come down or at least go straight across. We have to because it's the only thing we can really do to prevent the transmission. Yeah. So how long 
until until we start to see it plateau and until every person that we think needs a test yes. gets it. That's how because even now as of yesterday or yesterday was it the twenty first, um, Dr. Fauci had changed who should get tested and changed it to the priority groups of only people who are in the hospital, mm-hmm. healthcare workers who have symptoms mm-hmm. and the elderly in assisted living communities. Like those are the only three people that should be getting tested right now. So it's like, if you're sick enough to be in the hospital, then you get a test. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then you stay home and you self-isolate yourself. Yeah, And that's it. And the why it's important for the healthcare workers to get tested is so they're not caring for people continuing that's to right. spread it throughout dense area, like a hospital or like an ER. And also in an elderly or assisted living community, it's important for them to get tested again because they're all high risk, that if there's one, that if they can't remove that person from whatever the assisted living, because they're not that sick, but they're sick, but they can isolate them from the other residents Mm -hmm. and then limit maybe one caretaker taking care of that resident as opposed to exposing everyone. So those are the only three groups right now that we're recommending get tested. Which to me sounds crazy when you see like the response, but the reality of it is there's not enough tests, right? So the question I really have is, did the cases skyrocket or did just more people get tested? You know? I think, fortunately, both of those things are happening. Okay. So getting more tests, But there's also probably more incidents, right? Mm -hmm. Because there were all of us walking around carrying the disease that didn't know it because we didn't have a test. So we were still interacting with our friends. We were still taking the subway. We might have still been going to work. We might have still been at the grocery store buying a bunch of stuff. And we didn't know, you know? And so it's twofold. And so until we catch up with the testing, and every person we think needs a test, we won't really know what the number is. So that's your original question. How long is it going to last? When every person we feel needs a test, gets a test. And then once you know that they're positive, that you contact all the people that they've been in contact with. So month, easy, month. Wow. So if you, um, if you could. I mean, lasted 18 months. What lasted 18 yeah. months? On N1, that oh, pandemic. It's April 2009 to August of 2010. Yeah, but we didn't have to stay at home, though, either. Like, now it's like... It, right. And with H1N1, there was a flu vaccine. So there was a vaccine with H1N1, and there was Tamiflu, and antiviral. So that could mitigate somewhat the severity of the disease and it allows you to treat folks. I mean, I actually, and I can speak from personal experience, had H1N1 when I was pregnant with my twin in November of 2009. Yes, I was high risk. I was a pregnant woman working in a hospital. Wow. Wow. Yes. One of my colleagues tested me right on the floor. I just sneeze. I'm like, what is happening? But blocked me, and and I was walking through the hospital, and they overhead paged me, sat to the ER. 
So I say that to say that 2009 and 2010, we had a vaccine, which I had gotten my flu vaccine, and I was given a Tamiflu by the chief of staff and president of the hospital who hand-delivered it to me and then put me in isolation for several days, wow. right? And so that was, you know, about four, 16 months with some treatment, real treatment, yeah. you know? So, and we don't have that. So, so I, you guys got to give it at least 16 months, at least. Ooh, so um, we talked a little earlier about um, the idea of community spread. And since we've been talking about isolation, can you talk for a minute about what is community spread? Yeah. So community spread is clearly what we have right now. Yeah. It is not what we thought in February, though. And I personally think that that's why this spread so rampant mm-hmm. in the United States. Because everyone thought it was direct person-to-person contact with someone who had been in China or other European uh, countries that we were saying were were outbreaks of COVID-19 were. And so we were over here thinking, oh, that's something that's happening in China. That's not, you know, affecting us. That's happening in Italy. That's happening in Germany. That's Spain. That's France. It's not really us. And on the news every night. No evidence of community spread. No evidence of community spread. So fast forward two weeks or whichever, and it's community spread. And what does that mean? It, in essence, means that you don't know how the person got it. They were not in contact with someone who traveled to one of those countries, but yet they are positive for the disease. Mm -hmm. And the different examples of that were the gentleman who died in California, early after coming back from the cruise, uh, the gentleman who uh, was the attorney in New York and from New Rochelle, and another community spread this week, last week, which was horrible, was the family in New Jersey that had all come together for a family event, and four of their family members passed away, three others in the hospital, and then 20 others affected. That's crazy, so, yeah. If that's not be spread, I don't know what is. Right. Right. So, so I think that's where we were a little behind because everyone was like, okay, I haven't been near anyone from China. And because of that, I think there was a lot of misplaced blame and, and stereotyping and all of that. And people exactly. were, I'm staying away from Chinese folks and I'm not doing this and all of that. Because that's what we that's what we thought. Yeah. Right? Which clearly that was incorrect. Yeah. Um, it is incorrect and woefully dangerous. Um, so one other, um, thing I know I need to let you go is, um, I really want to just tap into a moment for, to public health. And, um, I think that it's important to like use this time to also talk about what are some of the flaws, um, in our public health infrastructure and how can we remedy those while also remedying our natural bodies, right, from this um, from this virus. What are some of the things that we could do to fix any flaws? So there's going to be so much to learn from this, yeah. from a public health perspective when everything is done. One, how to plan better. I mean, to find out on January 2nd that that's when we learned in the United States that this was happening 
was somewhat disheartening for me. Um, I don't know that it would have changed the number of cases, but what it would have done is it would have allowed us to manufacture more N95s. It would have allowed us to get on making these ventilators and respirator machines. It would allow us to get people out of uh, retirement, doctors and nurses, and really vet them as opposed to people who are signing up online who are, you know, retired folks that you don't know the circumstances with which they were no longer working and things like that. And it wouldn't have been so rushed, rushed, rushed. It would have given us more opportunity to order those nasal swabs that are in such short supply to manufacture more of the specific viral medium that necessary. It would have allowed us to troubleshoot the test that the CDC and the government had made for it. There have been so many things we could have done instead of being reaction, reactionary. We could have been more preventative. Yeah. And I think right now, not I think, we're playing catch-up. We're playing yes. catch-up as opposed to being prepared, right? The other thing from a public health that um, perspective is the access and that lack of access. So right now, fortunately, it's if you're sick enough, you go to the hospital and you get tested. Here, we've gotten to that point. It's just if you're sick enough to be in the hospital, you're sick enough to get a test. But prior to that, it was you had to call your primary care doctor. The doctor had to do a health assessment or a telehealth call to confirm, write you a prescription call the hospital with your insurance card to get you in line just to get a test, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for all those folks that don't have a primary care doctor, I mean, what were they supposed to do, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, and then it doesn't even, it also unfortunately exposes our disparities that exist in our country uh, in a major way. I mean, all of these kids are out of school always. Yeah, you know, um, that don't have equal access to computers and don't have equal access for all this online home learning. And we're getting breakfast and lunch at school. Yeah. And for all kids who were homeless, that this was a place of shelter for them during the day, and they just had to worry about the weekend in a shelter. You know, and it just it brings out everything that our country, the challenge we have to do better in a situation like this. It's just glaringly obvious. And for that matter, for some of us, white-collar workers, we can work from home. Yeah. You know, I can do telehealth call. And now that all the emergency, all, all the surgical cases have been suspended, except for emergency surgery, as surgeons... We may be helping the primary care doctors, but we're only operating unless it's life or death. That's all we're operating on. Or if we don't operate, you know, something tragic could happen to you, right? So I can do that. So that's less time in the hospital. I can I computer. But what about everybody? What about the home college? You know, what about the buses that don't have people on now? And folks aren't taking the bus because they're staying home. What are the people who are cleaning houses that can't clean houses and are living paycheck to paycheck, right? So I, you know, or people, uh, it's just, I can keep going about domestic violence that now stuck in a house with a person who you used work as a refuge to get away from a situation, right? So I just, whew, it's just, um, 
I feel like what's going to get us through this is faith. Whomever your God might be is faith and knowledge. Yeah. And knowledge. Because when we know more, we can do better. And so shows like this and you having me on and us having a dialogue and talking about it is huge, right? Because I think people, some some of us like to listen to people who look like us and are speaking the same that they appreciate the information. Um, and when we know more, we can do better. Right. So it's a lot. And I mean, this is a situation where we can help each other by what we don't do and what we do do. So that same home, as painful as it might be, at least we have a home to stay in, most of us, you know? That's a hundred percent right. Dr. Ayla, thank you so, so much. This has been super informative. Of course, you're brilliant. And I um, hope that people will check out this interview. It's so important. We learned a ton. Um, I'm going to keep taking care of my allergies and keep taking my temperature just in case, (laughs) just in case. But um, thank you so much for your time. And I hope to talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Angela. For all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors, all we know is to fight. Pray, they see God in everything.